0: I think I was quite freaked out when they were babies about the extent to which my freedom and my life was being curtailed, mm-hmm. even though I'd chosen it. And all of a sudden I just burst into tears Yeah, because I realized that we'd finally made it. It's such a relief. <laughs> it is. That's, exa- that's the perfect <laughs> word, really, isn't it? Yeah, it really It's is. a relief.
1: Welcome to Mother Other podcast exploring the space between motherhood and our desire for personal development and fulfilment. I am your host, Amy Pearson. This podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kuala Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. I would also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hi, welcome back. How are you? Today's show is with the excellent Kate Mildenhall. Kate is a writer, a mum of two, and an excellent conversationalist. I enjoyed chatting with Kate so much. It felt especially fulfilling given the current state we're in down here in Melbourne. It's been so hard. If you aren't in Victoria right now, well, Melbourne more specifically, I don't think you can fathom just how tough this lockdown has been on our mental health. We are surviving, we're doing our best, but the endlessness of this experience is so difficult. Some days are fine, some days the sun pops out and we feel a sense of relief and hope, and other days are just complete shit. I released this episode with hope. As of today, we only clocked two cases in all of Victoria, which feels incredible. I am completely hopeful that the border's Into New South Wales will open soon so that I can see my family, get back to my hometown for summer. I hope all of you Melbourneites are managing okay. I know you're not great, I don't expect you to be, but you're not alone and it's bound to end soon. So, in today's conversation, Kate and I chat about all things motherhood, as you would expect, with a focus on the difficulties of early motherhood, postnatal depression. Sundowning, which is a term you may not have heard before, finding the space and time to work creatively, and Kate's complete career shift after she became a mother. We also talk about how the narrative of motherhood still isn't considered important or interesting, and all of the books that we each have loved that delve into the realities of The Mother load. As always, thank you for listening, sending love to all of the mothers, specifically the ones experiencing Groundhog Day here in Melbourne. Maybe next time you hear from me, we'll be out of this mess. That's all I'll leave you with. Here it is. Enjoy. So today's guest is Kate Mildenhall, fellow mum and author of the incredible new dystopian fiction novel, The Mother Fault. Um, I knew from the moment I saw your cover that, I would really adore that book. So I got a copy in my hand straight away and devoured it so fast. I'm so glad. So thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with me today, especially during what feels like mind-numbingly endless lockdown. Are you also oh my still gosh. in lockdown?
0: Well, I'm still in lockdown, but I have had the great joy of sending my two primary school age children back to school today. Oh. So today is really... You know, I could have been drinking champagne while I was speaking. What a fresh,
1: fresh day that would be. It's,
0: it's, it feels very fresh. So I know, like, you know, when you're watching people talk about lockdown as well, it just depends what, what you're about to get, doesn't mm, it? Like, you can go back to work if you can get rid of one child. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So
1: we almost got, brand new week. Yeah. It would be amazing. We almost got our boy into childcare for the first time because he's only one and a half. But (gasps) then, lockdown 2.0 hit just Ugh. as we were about to have our um, what do you call it your tour and you can only get on the wait oh. list if you've done a tour so they cancelled oh them and I was like oh no so
0: no. he's been at home
1: 24 7 and some oh. days I'm like glad I think he makes me laugh so much that it actually makes it easier to get through the day but then other sure. days you know we have a bad day and it's just like oh I need it time is.
0: It is just something else. Yeah, already has struck me this morning, just the quiet. And like, it's been a long time since my children have been crying babies. But you know, that kind of ghost cry feeling that you Mm. have even when the child isn't with you, but you're like, I'm sure I can hear them crying. And the lockdown version with primary school age children has been the like ghost whinge like Mm. that, just mom, mom. (laughs) And I just know now if I hear what's probably a bird doing that, it is not my actual children (laughs) needing me because they are at school with their incredible teacher and I am so very happy. And everyone is like
1: cheering for teachers now hey like wow Uh, they are amazing.
0: (laughs) So cheering for them.
1: So would you like to start off by telling us who you're a mother
0: to? So I am a mother to uh, Gracie who is nine and Etta who is seven and um, to give you an indication of the types of kids they are etta had already um like laid out her entire school uniform with her little socks everything even though she's grown out of it you know everything ready to go to get ready to bustle in and be like life of the party she's second born you know comic yep. um and gracie was just has has turned into a teenager over lockdown wow. like shes Shut up. She's so tall. She's arms crossed. She's eye-rolling. Um, she's <laughs> my anxious firstborn. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's who I am mum to.
1: Mm, completely different sort of time as what I'm going through with a toddler, obviously.
0: Absolutely. But I've watched Absolutely. my sister
1: go through all of those years. So, yeah, I can imagine. And
0: it's so it's so strange that, you know, I'm in the very lucky position of having um, – friends who are in all the stages with older children, older teenagers, and, you know, a bunch of my very close girlfriends had kids after me. So they've still got little ones. And, um, gosh, you both, you forget, you forget so quickly, Mm. um, what, what some of those, um, you know, newborn kind of feelings were. And then it's incredible also listening to the parents of teenagers and thinking, oh my gosh, like I thought this was the hardest thing, what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And yet there is more to come.
1: <laughs> it doesn't end until what, 21? Or does it even end no. then? Who
0: knows? Does it end? I don't know that it <laughs> ever ends.
1: Um, so talk to me about your lifestyle and who you were as a working woman before um, you were a mother.
0: So I trained as a teacher first. So I was a, um, you know, worked in a, prime, a a split level, Peter 9, so a high school teacher trained. And probably two years maybe three years before I got pregnant I took a um I took a job at the State Library of Victoria which was incredible it was meant to be just for three months and I ended up staying because I nearly worked myself to death at in a school I was one of those very frustrating teachers I can look back on with retrospect now who didn't have kids I was this like young ho graduate who stayed there until six o'clock every night no work-life balance just Mm. um, worked myself kind of to the bone and ended up getting sick so going to the state library was fantastic because I was like oh here is this is what like a nine to five job looks like this is what maybe I don't have to teach forever Um, and then when I when I left the library um, for maternity leave that first time I still remember like walking around maybe on a random Wednesday and going, who are all these people who aren't at work? Like it was still so astonishing to me. I just, you know, I'd worked since I was 16 yeah. or whatever. It's still so astonishing to me that all these people were kind of just living these other lives and maybe not working full time. And so that opportunity to have time out when Gracie was born, um, I did go back to work. I went back to work maybe three days a week I don't know when she was one, nine months or or one, I can't even remember. But by the time I had, and worked kind of three, maybe three days a week that entire time until I was pregnant again. And, and that time with Etta, I, um, I had this real kind of burning desire to write again. I'd been a you know, I hadn't been a writer. I would never have called myself that. But I, I wanted to write when I was in high school and um, at uni, but I never went and did the course or never mm. tried to get anything published. So I, um, I decided. Etta was still really little. I remember the night because I was, I was breastfeeding her late at night and I read a book by um, a, t- a woman who had, had been a teacher, Lisa Jacobson at, at La Trobe Uni. It was this gorgeous verse novel the sunlit zone and I just it just hit me like this is what I want to do I want to write so I enrolled in a course and um and then that's what I did I I went back to work maybe two days a week at the library and I did part-time study and um it was just like this possibility opened up that Mm. I didn't have to do full-time work I could combine I think I was so shocked by this, by how much the kids needed me, so shocked by the idea that I was going to have to change my life because Mm -hmm. I think like a bazillion other women who've come before me, I was, my partner and I were like, oh, yeah, we're going to do it differently though, you know, like the way (laughs) that we have kids is going to be so different and nothing's going to change and, you know, I took Gracie as a, I don't know, like seven day old. I took her to a gig, like, (laughs) and put her down in the pub in a, in a, you know, like little carrier, like in the bassinet as if everyone kind of stood around her. Like, I don't know, like we were warming our hands on the fire. It was so (laughs) inappropriate. Like mostly for my friends who must've just been thinking, are you serious? You can't, you can't, (laughs) you can't do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's where it, it, it worked onto to to this point now where I'm kind of full time writing and it's just amazing. amazing.
1: Yeah. So did you know that you wanted children back when you were just working and you hadn't started writing yet? Is maternal desire something that you were sort of feeling? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd, I'd always wanted kids like in a really kind of embarrassing nerdy way since I was really little, um, that people, you know, kind of that I said that about myself. Um, I didn't, Yeah. It's a strange thing. I, I I think in that way that I thought kind of, I could have them ironically, if that makes sense. By the time I was, you know, by the time I was in my mid twenties, I was like, oh yeah, we'll just, you know, like have a kid because that's what you do and we can still carry on our lives. Um, but I definitely, I definitely always wanted them. I didn't have any kind of, um, of the stress. Um, my sister doesn't have children at this stage and, you know, I didn't have that kind of stress that I know that she's had about thinking about whether she wants them or not. Mm.
1: Yeah. That was similar to me. I just always kind of knew as well. Do do Mm. you want to expand on what it was? If you know that stood out to you about motherhood, like why did you always want children? Do you, do you understand that about yourself?
0: I think I, I had always adored kids and I'd adored the, I taught a lot in, in primary schools. I, um, I'm a much more playful version of myself when I'm with children. Not that that's necessarily translated to my own children in general. Yep. Um, and and I loved, I adored being being pregnant. Um, I you know I very gratefully and luckily didn't get hugely sick, and I um I really enjoyed that process. I think. There, I had extraordinary um, – my mum's extraordinary. My, I was very close to my grandmother. Um, so I had always just assumed we – my mum and dad are both teachers, so we'd always kind of spent every holiday together and we're a very close family. I just mm. assumed, I suppose, that I would make the world um, in the replica of what I'd had with them, that I would have two kids. Um, I've got a sister. I've ended up having two girls. Like it, I think at times – I did recognize that if something had happened, like I had, God forbid, given birth to a boy, like my whole version of the world might have ruptured because that's what I wasn't what I was expecting. But mm-hmm. I, I did always um, assume that I, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's something that now I look back on and I think, oh, that is that is problematic. Kate is that I also just wanted to have like little me's. (laughs) I wanted to have little versions of myself.
1: Whether people admit it or not, I think part of it is that it's got to be subconsciously like, and similarly with um, me replicating the family, not necessarily in exactly the order, but just having that, I think because I have a family of three siblings and including me and two parents, family of five, um, having that sort of big ish, bigger than the small knit family is something that I've always kind of just assumed I would have like yes I don't know how to live
0: without that that's all I know yeah yeah that's what I I think it is it's really interesting with with friends who have you know different numbers of of kids in their families and just that urge like I was so okay we're done with two I you know that was very clear for me um that people who've got more just watching them um kind of toss around that idea that they want to replicate it but I think also that idea of um, having a little mini you yeah. <laughs> is really problematic because, of course, you yeah. don't. And and so everything that they um, then bring up in you or in all the ways that they are not like you, yeah. that's where you first start or where, certainly where I first started going, oh, my gosh, I, I can't do this. I mm. can't be a mum, I don't know how to do this.
1: It's funny, isn't it? Because I've said this with a few other guests as well, but almost immediately they have a personality, and you can oh. see that they're not you or your partner. They're just so individual, isn't it? Bizarre. Straight up,
0: mm. they're so individual, and also they um, their presence expands so much. Gracie was first born on both sides of our uh, our family, so she was, you oh, know, wow. it, it, just adored, and she changed. I suppose watching. her the impact that she had on my parents and my parents-in-law and just that she was this tiny little, um, tiny little thing. Mm. (laughs) And yet she could reduce everyone to a blubbering mess kind of gooing and garring and all the rest of that. So, so watching that, I think was really astonishing and Gracie was, um, you know, such a, a good baby in that way that she, she slept and, um, she fed pretty well and, you know, life was pretty good. I, I had to have an emergency seizure. So that, that wasn't terrific, but mm-hmm. you know, life was pretty good, but I now know that I most definitely had, um, you know, P and Um, I didn't, I didn't seek any help for it for about a year. Um, when I, when I got therapy and I had two grandparents die in oh, the sure. first year when she was born. So it was just that, you know, I, I look back on it now and I think some parts of it were incredible and I still remember kind of even just being in hospital and that, um, oh, like kind of your chest just blows open, doesn't yeah. it, with the feeling of, oh, my gosh, I made this, I will do anything yeah. for this creature that's just come out of me. um, And yet also, you know, being terrified, I think they call it sundowning when it's in um, elderly residents' homes, that the fear that I had when the sun went down each night because I oh. knew that, like the day and night had just melded into one and yeah. there was no it would just go on forever and i use i remember like pulling the curtains across so i wouldn't have to watch the sun go down yeah, um funny? and like at the time i thought this is just a really normal thing but i now know like that that was not yeah. normal that was anxiety and, yeah. um, and and stress so it's really um you know it's it's a it's a beautiful time to reflect on but now I think I'm, I try and be much more open and going, actually, it was really shit and I was, I was really struggling as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: it's a really um, intense transition, isn't it, into motherhood like that, especially I think a lot of us, well, I mean, a lot of the people I talk to, and maybe that's part of the psyche of these creative and driven women is that we get bogged down with the sort of the change and the demand on our um, on ourselves that we've never really experienced yeah. before but yeah Absolutely. it has been quite common um and sadly like most of us haven't didn't do anything about it actually yeah and it was only in retrospect that we realized I think yeah. there should be a lot and more I think support that's, around
0: there should be and and the openness I think you know I was still and this happens to everyone you know you're terrified to um to admit that that you're not coping because yeah. what you know we're used to being these driven incredible women um there's so much support but it's still there's there's a big barrier i think to asking for help um and because we do this we do this thing where where we of course tell our friends yeah you know it's really hard um and and but there's no measure of that so So you're not sure, you know, when I I always send a message to people on about day three, because my gorgeous, gorgeous friend, um, Amy, sent me a message on day three saying today you're going to start crying. Oh my God, a
1: friend did that to me as well. Yeah.
0: You're not going to know what it is um, and it's going to be okay. Like it's going to pass. And I still, like I'm almost tearing up thinking about it because it was such a profound um, and needed gift. And I always try and do it now to people who are having their first baby, Mm. but but there's a whole lot of the rest of it that you don't know. Is it sore boobs or is it something more than that? Oh. Like do should I actually go and get it checked? Do I need medication or is this just me adapting to this ridiculous change in my life? Mm. Um Yeah, I think it's I think it's so so difficult, but that the best thing, as has always been, is to, you know, just try and to be open with girlfriends and and um the women in our lives and reading and asking yeah. and all that kind of stuff.
1: Absolutely. And how much do you think, especially during that time and shortly afterwards, um, after your first baby, how much did motherhood impact your identity and how you saw yourself in the life you were living?
0: Yeah, hugely, Um, hugely. I mean, I think what I am so incredibly grateful for now, I've been, I've I've listened to your interview with um, Becky Orpin, which is great. And one of the really interesting things for me is that I wasn't a writer before I had kids. So, so having the girls was this real kind of kick up the bum for me to go, okay, I don't have to live this life that I was living, which was great, but wasn't where my heart was. Mm. I can, you know, I can do this creative thing. Like life can be messy and um, in bits and you can kind of (laughs) juggle it all. Um, So in terms of that, I feel like I am, much more much more an authentic version of myself Mm. now um post post motherhood and of course it brings up everything doesn't it like you gotta you gotta work through shit once you once you have your kids yeah um so I think you know I, I did really struggle with that idea of like I said that that idea that you know we were doing it kind of ironically and at that stage still um when we first had kids, you know, our best friends did, but a whole lot of our other friends didn't. So we were in that kind of halfway zone of um, I still remember going to the girlfriends like our old school girlfriends kind of Monday nights and only two of us or three of us had kids and there were like nine of us. Mm. And so we would escape home mm. to go to those nights and we would try not to talk about kids and we would, you know, because we were just desperately trying to be our, our old selves and only later when all the other um, women had kids too that they all kind of said that was how were you coming to those things like that was and why didn't you tell us and we're like we would we didn't want to talk about our kids but you can't we (laughs) had other spaces like no you
1: you you can try as hard as you can to relay it for someone that hasn't experienced it but it's just you just can't fathom
0: absolutely but I think really luckily too, a lot of the things that um you know, as I said, that group of girlfriends who, who I have, who go back to school, um, you know, has been extraordinary. Then, having kids of the same, you know, having kids and mm. and adapting our, you know, old crazy kind of weekends away camping to being weekends away camping with a bunch of kids, yeah. you know. So the life itself um changed dramatically, but it also you know the the kids have fitted into a lifestyle that we already loved and and enjoyed as well but I think yeah it it shook me I mean you know partly that's why I ended up writing the book too about the the idea of this you know having a a pre-mother self and and a post-mother self and thinking that you kind of have to rip the old one out of the book yeah (laughs) you know that they're entirely different beings but in fact um you know i suppose you're just getting more finely tuned as you as you go along
1: that's one of the reasons i love the book because you just so beautifully articulated motherhood in so many different ways and i'm gonna read out a few things soon but just getting back to what you're saying about friendships um quickly because i was going to ask you about maintaining old friendships and relationships and also um finding new friendships especially during that sort of tumultuous time where we're i don't know unraveling and trying to work out who we are and going through postnatal depression or whatever it is did Mm. you have people to talk to about that kind of stuff that were actually experiencing it or had experienced it as well
0: um yeah, I I did I, in terms but but probably later my um my incredible best mate who's living away at the moment and I miss her dreadfully um is exceedingly competent and brilliant at parenting. Um so she was amazing and I basically just did everything that she did. And, and so that was incredible because I just watched you know, her and go, okay, this is how I, you do car seats, right? I'll do. And in the, you know, along the way there were people who went, oh, do you do it like that? And I was like, yeah, I thought everyone did, but it was just that Erica did, you know, said so that. <laughs> and she was incredible. And we would walk and um, talk and just did, did so much of it together. But I think I was still really trying to hold in that, that I'm, I'm coping with this. Yeah. Um, I had, you know, I, I still see some of the women from the parents group. I, I live further out, Um, in Melbourne and um, yeah, I still see some of those women and, and, and some of them have struggled at at different times. So I think, I think I, I didn't talk about it um, so much at the time because I really wasn't sure what it was and, and where on the scale of experiencing motherhood I was. Um, But certainly somewhere along the way, I went on I try and tell this story too because I, no one had told it to me, but my doctor prescribed me the the mini pill at, at some stage. Yeah. Um, and it had, which I now know is quite common, just this horrendous um, effect on me. and I, and it's just it's the only time in my life I've ever described to my partner who's a psych nurse, um, just feeling black. Like, yeah, I, right. you know, I, I, he said, you've got to go back to the, like stop taking it immediately. Yeah. Um, and I know now that that's one of the one of the side effects that yeah. can be really, um, really terrible for some people. But and, and after that, maybe I think that um, I started seeing a, a therapist and that was extraordinarily helpful, too. Yeah. And I think that that helped me recognize that this was kind of normal and OK. And I could talk about this. Yeah. Um, with my friends, too
1: that's so amazing having a psych nurse as a partner too did that help you you yeah
0: (laughs) he's good um i think that he is able to normalize some things and and certainly able to say this is um this is what you're experiencing and and it's um it's not the reality or you know like yeah okay and he who was able to talk me through sundowning and this is why it feels like that so so that stuff has been really useful but he's also um my partner and so also he's a pain in the neck a lot of the time (laughs) and was struggling I suppose you know with all the same with all the same stuff and really struggling a lot with my resentment in the end that he got to go to work you know Mm. after all of these things that we talked about us doing it differently and the rest of course what happens is that then you go oh but that doesn't Work because you're, you know, you've already got a pay rise in the time that I've been off breastfeeding and the rest of it, and I can only do three. Oh, okay, okay, yep. I see, I see how this is going to work, you know. Isn't and so it? then he copped a lot of that resentment.
1: Mm. Oh, <laughs> and I mean, most of them would. My partner certainly did as well, and he didn't even like his job, and he didn't even really have that many benefits to his job, but he got to get in the car and be alone oh. for half an hour on the drive to work every day and these little things just, you know. i Have a up. cup of tea oh. in the alone? staff kitchen. Oh. oh, my gosh. Just talk to another human, really. Like yeah. There was a we lot. We sent
0: ridiculous emails. I don't even mind. <laughs> yeah. Just send them to me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the things that you want when you don't have oh. them, it's bizarre, right? Sort of experiencing so it again strange. in lockdown.
0: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Um, so do you want to just give a brief rundown of the storyline or just kind of a, a, a quick rundown of your book for the listeners that haven't sure. actually read it before?
0: Sure. So um, The Mother Fault is set in a very near future Australia. It feels much more near oh my God. this year than yeah. when I actually wrote it. Uh, and it's the story of Mim. So Mim has been out of the workforce um raising her two kids essie and sam the eldest essie is 11 and when the book opens her husband who's also in geology he's an engineer um has gone missing from his fifo job in in indonesia and when mim tries to find out what's happened and and talk to the governing body who is who is now called the department um they basically say look you know we've got this you need to to stay where you are and and very subtly threaten that if she asks too many questions they'll take her kids away from her. And mm. so eventually she, she runs and it turns into this kind of road trip, sailing adventure as she tries to, you know, find her husband but also to keep the kids safe really.
1: And it is so... Engaging and unput downable. I just, I love that type of book. Like, you've written pretty much my ideal type of book because it's got my Oh, I'm so glad. Amy. But it's also yeah. got, you know, that sort of thrilling, captivating experience throughout as well. And I was going to say, which is similar to what you just said, um, I feel like we're living in a dystopian world right now almost. Oh. And not even just Corona, but like climate change, coronavirus, politics, everything. It's just creepily plausible, your book.
0: Yeah. It really is. And, you know, all of the I've been, you know, I I started writing it four years ago and all of that world, I drew on real sources in in the world, like I drew on authoritarian governments in in other countries and I drew on the type of surveillance that happens in some places. It's just that I kind of mashed it all up and and put it in an Australian setting. And I wanted to think about that idea of of slippage in politics when we we give power to, you know, a certain... um, type of populist government I imagine I you know I suppose and then and then what happens but honestly when I was doing the copy edits at the start of this year and you know I'm reading the book where it says like they all got their chips because we're all in this together and the and you know the presser is on at the same time saying (laughs) we're all in this together and you know yeah mind blown it's wild
1: (laughs) I actually, my, I'm from New South Wales. And so my whole family's in New South Wales. And all year we've been waiting oh. to see when we can see them. And we've had s- yes. my son's first birthday. Me and my partner both had our oh. 30th birthdays. Um, and my son has grown pretty much from a almost crawling baby into a full running around toddler in that time. And it's just, it's so strange that we're not allowed to see our family. I just, I can't wrap my head it's around it. So it's so strange really upsetting but also like we're kind of trying to protect ourselves from being upset about it by just going it's okay it's gonna happen soon just gotta of
0: course it's so weird and that you could ever have imagined that and i think that's what yeah that's that's the the thing that i've been so interested in talking about since the book has come out that you know there's not a point where you suddenly go oh gosh something terrible's happened and you know, we're going to run away or do something crazy or yeah. revolt. But you just, it's this um, incremental kind yeah. of moves and power until you look back and go, oh, we've, we've been at home for seven months or, yep. you know, you now have to get a past to across a border in yep. this country. Like it just is very, very strange and, you know, at once terrifying and, of course, on the other hand, that you feel protected and, yes, this must happen and we're doing this for a purpose but mm. very strange.
1: It's funny because I remember the moment that my family was supposed to visit me, my mum and my sister, and then lockdown 2.0 was just about to happen and they were sort of like, I don't think we can come because people are saying we'll have to isolate when we get back and then all of a sudden they were like, we're closing the borders and my mum said to me, you sure you don't want to quickly cross the border tomorrow before they? Cl- and I said, "Oh, mum, don't be stupid. It's fine. Like I'll see you soon." And it's been like five months or something, three months since that happened. Yeah. And now I remember that her saying that, and I'm like, oh, it gives me like the shudders. Like I should have listened to her. It is visited them because
0: but, that's terrifying. Yeah, you know, it's it's terrifying that mm. and and so hard. I think they're so right when when. They say you know everyone is struggling with this in all the myriad ways that they mm-hmm. are, and and of course some people are more impacted, but but also it's it's really shit for everyone. Yeah, totally. Who is still in lockdown?
1: So I want to read a passage out from the book that really resonated with me. It's actually towards the end. I didn't realize, Mum. She'd said, looking at her mother's face, I don't think I can do it. Of course you can. She held her palm to Mim's face for a second, cupped the other around her granddaughter's head as Essie sniffled and sucked at Mim's breast. It's the hardest thing in the world, her mother told her, and the simplest. You just do it. You just do it each day. Oh, my God. Reading that passage, I was like, it's just such a perfect way to sum up exactly what we experience in that sort of very early stages of postpartum period. And um, I remember specifically feeling so similar and having a similar experience with my mum just after my son was born where I think it was like the first night after we'd been home, we'd been home for one night from the hospital. And the first night in the hospital, he slept quite well after the birth. So when we got home that first night, he just screamed all night, my milk was spurting everywhere my husband and <laughs> i were just walking around looking at each other like what what is happening like it was horrendous i think we got maybe like 2 hours sleep all night and the next morning obviously the hormones that crying thing oh and i just called my mom she was visiting like staying nearby and i called her and i said can you come over i really need you to come over cuz i just couldn't i couldn't have a shower i couldn't make breakfast i was just like in this weird state of like shock and sleep shock. deprivation and i just had no idea what was going on and she was just like over immediately and helped us and i'm like i did not know i would need her i was real. i'm really yeah. independent like no no i don't need help i don't want you there i'll be fine yeah. and then in that moment i was like help me i am struggling and i was seriously like how the hell am i going to do this and you do you just do it it's it's bizarre
0: you you do just do it, but I think that that um, that independence um, has a lot to answer for for all of us because mm. I think we had a very gorgeous mum kind of in our circle. You know, one of the, one of our mums who's a um, midwife who and the law kind of went around from from Liz that she said you know traditionally you would do forty days at at home basically with other people you wouldn't get out of bed you'd be looking after the baby and everyone and and you know we kind of laughed at that like as if you can do that you know and I want to be down at the cafe and I want to be walking with the pram and the rest of it and and there's some of that but also that idea that actually (laughs) you also just do need to be kind of looked after yeah you know mum and baby need to be to be looked after in that stage but also that help that moment when you do and I called my mum so many times so many times I mean times from you know my bedroom where I'd shut the door and said I can't listen to the crying anymore yeah you know please come yeah and and she would just come no questions asked they know they know
1: totally and in a way that's I guess just that experienced like they know how hard it is and they know that that you just need someone to tell you that you can do it and that you'll be okay. Absolutely. That's all it is. Absolutely. Just like that reminder. Actually, that's what helped me get through the birth as well. The midwife saying to me, you can do it and and going, oh, I can do it. I'd forgotten I can do it, you know. Yeah. Um, So I'd love to know if the family in the book reflects your own family dynamic in any way as well.
0: Um, I think certainly in the time that I've, been writing the book my my girls have obviously got older and there's a lot in Essie um even though my daughter my nine-year-old isn't that old but there's a lot in that dynamic between Mim and Essie which reflects I think um Gracie and I and that coming to terms with the fact that she's her own um glorious infuriating (laughs) (laughs) grown-up questioning kind of person um and that and what we learn as adults, off both the experience of parenting, but also off the kids themselves and and the way they approach the world and the way they see the world. So certainly, um, certainly that kind of dynamic um, was there in terms of in terms of Mim and her family and her parents and, and siblings and the rest of it. Um, no, com- so completely fictional, and partly because Amy, when I was writing it, to make it plausible that she had to kind of run and leave the country I had to make me a bit of a loner yeah, and okay. because the question that I kept on asking myself was you know well, what would I do now and what would I do now and so often that question was I would run to my friends yeah or I'd ring mum and dad
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they'd
0: save me and they would yeah. tell me exactly what to do my very <laughs> clever friend would tell me and my loyal friend would do this yeah. um so I I knew from the start that I had to make her a bit more of a loner um so that kind of complication certainly isn't there. Um, when my husband read it, which he finally did, he was like, oh, because <laughs> I think, of course, some of the stuff about marriage is, you know, like some of those moments in terms of the the resentment that I was talking about before, that kind of, that there's a part near the end of the book, this isn't a spoiler, but, you know, where she says, oh, I might have, I might have been a hero too, but I was at school pickup. Like that yeah, kind of, yeah, that kind of resentment that I think I just share with so many of the yeah. women I speak to in all the different ways that they say, yeah, well, you know, actually, yeah, that's because I'm making lunches. So, um, so those kinds of things were, were based on on my my experiences.
1: Mm, yeah, it's interesting hearing that, and I totally get it about the. Uh... The reliable and loving family and having to change and alter that because, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't make sense, would it really? The book wouldn't be as
0: no consistent.
1: No. Um, and how did you manage to find the time and the space to write having children? Was it just when they were older and at school or did it start earlier?
0: That certainly helped once they were at school. Um, I did things like, you know, paid for childcare before and after school, childcare, um, swapped out took play dates you know that that my mum took or or looking after the kids and really tried to use those times to write um I also write really well in I kind of binge write so I would go on writing retreats um for because I found you know, like for a week, some of them, which were ones that I I was awarded, um, were two weeks, which was extraordinary, extraordinarily difficult to, to leave a kind of physically, emotionally, the kids, but also the, um, the setup, the spreadsheets and the, you know, the organization that was required for me to leave. Yeah. But, as I would tell all the people who were helping and my partner as well, it it was like three months or four months worth of work yeah. that I got in those two weeks because I could, I could write all day, read, do the research, go to sleep and then wake up still thinking about the book, which is just, I think it's that interruption. I think people who have been working from home would know this from, oh, yeah. from the lockdown experience. Like I meant to have written another book this year and I, I just haven't yet. Yeah. And it's partly because you can never get into that full zone of, of focus. There's certainly writing retreats and and I have a group of women, my writing group, and we go away a couple of times a year. Sometimes it's just for a weekend, but that's a huge, you know, huge amount. And Catherine, who I, who is on the, uh, who I do the first time podcast with Catherine Collette, she often talks about how she gave up, um, like her gym in the morning. So, so she would, instead of going to the gym, she'd go to the Maccas down the end of the road and sit there uh, because it was warm. And she took that time. And for a while too, you know, I would take that kind of six o'clock in the morning time before I got up and just write like hell.
1: Yeah. You got to find it where you can. Hey. And it's so true. I think there was, I read something over the past few months about how, the average time parents can spend on any task at home during lockdown with children was like 3.3 minutes and 40 seconds or something.
0: Oh my gosh. And I'm like, that actually
1: makes a lot of sense because having my partner at home and my toddler at home, I'm still unable to work uninterrupted. It's just so hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're just there. I did take a lot. Um, I, there's there's a book by Rach, um, Rachel Powers edited it. The one that I read was called The Divided Heart, but oh, I think it's been re-released as I've, Motherhood and Creativity.
1: I love it. Actually, that's one of the major yeah. influences of this podcast. I've got The Divided oh, Heart as well. Isn't it brilliant? Yeah, and it's, I've tried talking about it and people don't know it because it's changed its name. So I'll need to put yeah, that into um, But it's
0: it's extraordinary. And I think now to um, Jamila Ribsie's um, the one that she edited, Mo- the motherhood.
1: Yes. Um yeah.
0: Similarly, it's got those ideas, and and of course, lots of writers have released memoirs. Anne Enright's one, making babies, is extraordinary. Ooh, I haven't read um, that. You know, that also, that. yeah, that's amazing. But that talk about that juggling act and yes. and how you might get work done. So I think, I think I've kind of tried to model on a lot of of those as well. I've tried yeah. to go, okay, this is how Kate Grenville got it done because she this is the way she did it or, or yeah. whatever. And and so that's really been helpful. That's been a little bit like having a your girl gang, I yeah. think. Yeah. Having that kind of group of um, writers or artists or other creatives who you're kind of in dialogue with mm. um, through reading what, how they got through it.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the major things that helped me through the first year, especially the first six months, um, and influenced a lot of the work that I produce now is all of those incredible writers writing those books especially did you read rachel cusk's um a last work oh i love that one as well yeah so many yeah and people say you know oh sick of hearing about motherhood but i'm not honestly like i could i could hear about it forever (laughs) because it's there's no single dialogue there's no single experience of motherhood it's just not what people think it's always different and there are Absolutely. things we can relate to one another. But I just, I think, yeah, it's definitely not a universal experience like we think it is. It's completely no, it's individual. not a universal.
0: And it's still just not privileged as a, a, a story or a narrative worth listening to in yeah. so many ways. And that's why it's been astonishing, the kind of feedback that I'm getting from readers or the kind of messages I'm getting from readers, especially those who are mums, mm. who are saying like, you know, you don't see um, – normally you don't see the hero who is like trying to save their family having to look after the kids at the same time and that was what that was really important to me that she is constantly it's not fun like it's frustrating and difficult but, but she does have to look after them every day because they are her responsibility at the same time as she is you know saving saving the world yeah um Totally. So I think you know that's that's that was an important part of recognizing that yeah okay there's a bunch of motherhood stories out there but like you say they're not universal and they're still not considered high art yeah. in the way that um, stories of war for instance oh, are
1: yeah totally and so a bit of a sidestep but what does success look to you like, um, look like to you personally and how much has that changed since you've become a mum do you think?
0: Uh, it's changed enormously because I think, you know, after you become a mum, sometimes success is just getting through the day and all of you are a <laughs> lot well. Yeah. Um, but I think I've had time this year has been a bit complicated, but to recognise that I am at a spot now where um, you know, my work is my creative work is financially viable at, at this particular moment in time. Um I have I have time to do it. The kids are at a point. It was always kind of like when when Etta got to prep, then I would have to make a decision on how I was going to make it all work and like get back into the workforce and that kind of stuff. But understanding that that get back into the workforce looks different and it doesn't have to be getting back into full-time nine-to-five work yeah. um, has been incredible. So certainly for me now I've finally got this idea that maybe I can just – keep writing. Like I want to keep writing. I want to keep writing books. I want to keep having this messy juggle of a life where sometimes I'm away writing and sometimes I'm away promoting and, but I'm also here to do school pickup a lot of the days and, and that's okay as well. I loved, I took a lot from, um, Brooke McCallery, who does the slow home podcast and this interview she did at one stage about tilting, about how balance was impossible you mm. you can't actually get balanced but this idea of, of tilting at different times you will tilt into family or you'll tilt into work or you'll tilt into your partner and um I've taken a lot of kind of comfort from that mm. um over the over this parenting time because I've recognized that I can't be ace at all of it all yeah. of the time that's a recipe that. for yeah recipe for disaster but that I know if okay well this Book promotion time, for instance, is a time where I'm tilting into into work and then summer holidays is, you know, me and the kids six weeks, yeah. you know, on a beach. And, and so that kind of idea you, over the whole year mm. I might get balance. Yeah, um, exactly. I suppose that's what it is. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's almost like juggling as well. Like you're only really holding one ball at a time. You can't hold them all. It's just no, not going to work. you but cannot. that's so kind of parent life, right? Like I remember you mentioned earlier how – Uh, working as a writer maybe you can do this job where you're only doing little bits at a time here and there and I think that's that's kind of how parenting is summed up really isn't it or motherhood at least everything is little bits at any given time it's never like unless you do get those sort of times away like you said which are few and far between I assume
0: they are few and far between but I think that's you know I do think that especially for parents one of the those exhausting things of of lockdown and really problematic things is been that it, it it's not designed to be this way. No. Our kids are not designed to be with us all the time. Mm. Um they 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 never they never were. No. <laughs> and in past times maybe they would have been out, you know, playing with their mates, doing something else. Um and that's why it's been so hard because you are able to piece it together. You are able to hold yourself together. <laughs> and they, and I think the kids are more well as well mm. when you do get those breaks because my gosh, when I come back from those retreats, I am like parent of the year.
1: yeah, because oh, I can imagine
0: at a break, I've missed them. yeah, um and I'm you know I'm ready to fully engage and I feel fulfilled by my work. Yeah. and and that's, I suppose, the kind of feeling that I'm going for to be fully in the thing that I'm doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so my final question, which I always dump on everyone at the end, is what has motherhood given you?
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a great question. It's given me <laughs> it's given me insight, I suppose, into who I am, um the fragility of that and and also all my <laughs> terrible failures. Um, and being able to accept them, um, but the biggest thing—it's given me them. It's yeah. given me these two astonishing kids, and seeing the world through their eyes, and just being constantly delighted and um, astonished by. By the fact that they're these little humans that came from you, but they are entirely separate from you, yeah. and and they will do incredible things. So, you know, for every day that has been shit awful, and then I think, what? Why? Why would we put ourselves through this? <laughs> um, then they do that extraordinary thing, and you think, ah, oh, that's it. That's yeah. why.
1: Yeah, that's such a good answer. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It was. So fulfilling this conversation—it's like really boosted my energy. I feel like I've I've needed this because
0: I've been in oh, lockdown I'm so for so glad, long. Amy. It's like I'm so glad. Me too. I'm like yes, that's right. That's why we do it all. <laughs> and it's one of those, Thank you, you know,
1: these conversations—they're so um, philosophical and existential, and and you don't really do that on a regular day-to-day basis with your friends. So
0: you no, need to like don't. plan
1: out to have one of those conversations. So it's—I don't know—it just feels so nice and refreshing so it thank you
0: does for me too thank you
1: <laughs> well you have a great day and hopefully you enjoy the uh, week of having no children oh my gosh
0: I'm so excited it's like all this time though you know when like the first time maybe that your child like someone took them for a couple of hours yeah. and like the first hour is great and then the whole time you're like oh my gosh they're about to come home like I should do something but you don't do anything at yeah. all just oh. forgotten how to be efficient
1: yes I definitely can relate to that Okay. Thanks, Amy.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: And that's a wrap. As always, thank you endlessly for listening to today's conversation. I am so thankful to have you here joining me on this trajectory through mother and otherhood. If you love the show, please do go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you could spare a minute, rating or reviewing the podcast goes a long way to helping this show reach more ears and provide solidarity to other mothers out there who may need a little affirmation or even entertainment in their lives. See you next time.